what is this stuff we are downloading? Hello and welcome to the Culture Swally, a podcast dedicated to Scottish news and pop culture. I'm Nicky, and as always, I'm joined by Greg. How are you doing today, Greg? Very well, how are you? Yeah, I'm very well, thank you. A little bit of deja vu that we're recording this again. <laughs> yeah, what have, you, uh, what, have you, what have you been up to since I spoke to you last week? Oh, since we spoke last week. Uh, not a huge amount this week, uh, but busy with work and... Uh, yeah, yesterday I had a, a very exciting day of taking the dog to the vets for his annual injections. And that has pretty much been my week. What about yourself? Anything exciting happening on your side of the world? Well, it was, uh, as, as we mentioned before in the podcast, I'm in Dubai. Uh, it was a public holiday on Thursday. It was, I can't remember if it was the Prophet's birthday or the Prophet's ascension. But regardless, we got the day off. And... I'd been meaning to get back into playing golf again. So when my daughter was a baby, I used to play quite a lot. And I got and I got a wee bit of break. I wasn't very good, but I improved and got a bit of form. And then, you know, I just as I had another kid and all that for less and less time. Now my now they're older. Dubai, as you know, has got a lot of golf courses. So it was always my intention when I moved here to start playing again. So I played for the first time on Thursday, the first time I've hit a ball in two years. I wasn't very good, <laughs> and I don't know if you, I mean, obviously the the guys listening to the podcast will be able to see this, but see that blister on my thumb? Yeah, and I don't, and on my, and I was wearing like a glove, obviously. I don't remember ever getting blisters on my hands before when I played golf, even when I first started playing, but yeah, a bit sore, and I only had factor 30 sunblock on, and uh my west of Scotland, my west of Scotland complexion requires, at the very least, factor fifty, which I think is probably the strongest factor you can get. So I got a wee bit burnt on the back of my legs and on the back of my neck, but I enjoyed it. It was all right. We played at the Arabian Ranches course, which I know you said was a shiter, and you're right, <laughs> it's a shiter, especially now because there's a lot of drainage work and stuff going on. So a lot of building materials and things lying around. And I spent quite a lot of time in the sand because, one, because I'm not, well, mainly because it was the first time I played in a long time. Um, but I, I was starting to get a wee bit. I, I hit some decent shots on the sort of back nine, which is usually the way. But I'm determined to I'm determined to become proficient at the very least. You just need to stick at it, man. I mean, that's what I did. I played golf in Dubai every week when I was there. And you do notice the more you play, the better you get. Actually, I had... I think three months that I I went off alcohol and that was the best golf I have ever played in my entire life. Right. I don't know if it's something to do with that or if it was just a pure coincidence, but that was the, the best golf I've played. And that is the thing I miss about Dubai the most, apart from my family that live there, <laughs> is being able to play golf every week. Yeah. And I, I have looked into uh, a couple of courses here, but they're a little bit further out. And of course, you know, the, the Netherlands, it's, it's not a huge golfing community. And also, I think I'm terrified as well that I know when I start playing again, I'm going to be fucking terrible because I haven't hit a ball in anger. Well, the last round I played was my last weekend in Dubai. So that'll be... Uh, what was it, April? So, yeah, we're looking at yeah, 18, 19 months since I've I've played golf. So, yeah, I really need to pick that up again, and that's something I want to do. Are your clubs with you in the Netherlands, or did you leave them at your... Oh, they are. Yeah. 
No, I took them with me. I was like, no, I'm not selling those before I go. Uh, they, they were too expensive. I'd built up a, a nice little collection of clubs that I loved, so I was I was not going to let them go. So they've been sitting in the utility room, gathering dust since I moved here. But never mind, we will get that sorted. Do you think maybe we'll, I mean, you won't have clubs, but maybe we can get around them when you come to Dubai in December, maybe? Possibly, yeah, my brother-in-law's got clubs, so yeah. Could maybe. So we're letting a little bit of light in upon magic there, uh, you're seeing in terms of when I come in December, because this episode will be going out on the 3rd of December, <laughs> because, little spoiler folks, we record these slightly ahead of time, just in case there's any fuck-ups like last week when <laughs> my audio went all wrong. So we're actually recording this on Halloween. Mm. And are you are you dressing up as anything, Greg? Are you you've got a Halloween costume sorted? Well, apparently Halloween is off in Dubai because of uh, the current pandemic. So no, some of my neighbours have uh, have decorated their houses. I can only assume they're American. Not that I've taken the time to meet them, but um, no, we're not, I mean we're not doing anything. We're going over to our friends uh, for some Sunday or sorry Saturday lunch. Uh, but a bit later on, and apparently in her building, there's a there's a list of doors that children are welcome to chap on to do a trick or treat. Which just as I as I was hearing myself saying that, I thought that sounds a bit sinister. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's <laughs> a series of doors that children can go to. Yeah, so the kids, I think my daughters will maybe paint their faces or something and go and try and score some sweets uh, after we've had our lunch. But that's it. Uh, well, it led me to think. If you were to dress up as a, not so much a swally character, but a character from Scottish pop culture or media, what character would you pick to dress up as for Halloween? Um, I've put you on the spot here. You haven't been. Yeah. I mean, I, I know that. I mean, I've never really been a big dressing up guy. I know that years ago when we lived in Aberdeen, you and our other friend had a bit of a tradition of dressing up in complimentary costumes such as uh, Maverick and Goose from Top Gun or Michael Hutchins and Polly Yates on another occasion. Um, but I don't know, I always seem to be working on Halloween, so I never really dressed up. Something, maybe something that we've done on the podcast? I don't know. I mean, I was going to say maybe Gregory from Gregory's Girl, but I'm not sure what my uh, outfit would consist of, to be honest. You just have to carry around a massive electric toothbrush with you. <laughs> yeah. Maybe Gregory, or or maybe I would just do the sort of easy one and put some old man clothes on and be probably Victor, because I'm quite tall. See, I was trying to think about something scary and something that, at fair point, you should have, I should have picked something that we had done on the Swally. For me, I'm just going to get a Pringle jumper, <laughs> grow a moustache, go as Begbie. Oh, sorted. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What's scarier than Begbie? I know, I know. I could, oh, yeah, I could, yeah, absolutely. That's a good idea. I could, I could, I could do some weight and go as like renting, but uh, I don't think, I don't think there's enough time to get myself to sort of junky fighting weight. I think you'd be more suited for Spud, to be honest, mate. <laughs> Spe- speaking of you and McGregor, I've been watching. I, I, you might remember, like years ago. I think he did a couple of them with his pal Charlie Boorman when they did these big motorbike rides for UNICEF. I think the first one was called The Long Way Down and they went from sort of London to America through Kazakhstan and places like that. 
you remember? Yeah, I think there was the long way round and the long way down. Yes, I watched both of them, but I, I did see. Is there a new one? Oh yeah, just come out. There's a new one, and it's an Apple TV exclusive. I've been watching that, and they are going from South America. I can't remember. Maybe they're going. They're going fifteen thousand miles through South America to end up somewhere. I can't remember where they're supposed to be ending up. But um, they sort of they're they're doing it on electric motorbikes. So Harley Davidson have given them these two essentially um, prototype electric motorbikes, but they can only go a hundred and fifty miles on one charge. Oh wow! That's oh yeah, I know. So it's a wee bit. It's a wee bit dull, to be honest. I mean, I can, you know, the <laughs> the scenery and everything um, that they're riding through is is amazing. Like I've 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 only watched like the first maybe three episodes, but they've gone through like Chile and Argentina and stuff, and they're out in the countryside, and it's you know it's amazing. But they're riding these American uh, Harley Davidson electric motorbikes. They're really quiet, which sounds a bit weird. They sound like the motorbikes of Tron, and um, mm. they're support vehicles. Right, they get, right, so the producer and the director and the guys in the support vehicles are also in electric like pickup trucks. So I've watched three episodes and they haven't really got very far, to be honest. <laughs> um, they've only done like a thousand miles by the end of the third um, episode. And like I say, they've got 15,000 miles to do over the space of three months. So basically they've just... Hugh McGregor's like left his... Uh, his family, Charlie Boorman's left his family for three months to go on a fucking... Ewan McGregor left his family a couple of years ago, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah, that's right. But he was talking about how he, he, you didn't see any footage of his family, which I remembered. I remembered you telling me about that when we had been watching the series of Fargo that he's in, when he plays the twins. And um, when I'd, like, I remember on the, on the other long way shows... There was always a wee bit of footage of you and saying bye bye to his wife and his daughters. In this one, he doesn't. He, there's no footage. It's just him saying, "Oh, I had to, I had to like say bye to the kids last night. I'm going to see them for a couple of months. I feel went down in the dumps." And I thought, "Oh, that's right. You left your, uh, you left your family. I forgot all about." It. So. Oh, so you don't get to see him saying goodbye to no. Mary Elizabeth Winstead? No, uh, unfortunately not, because I do, I do like seeing Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Very, very attractive lady. Yes. Um, Me too. So, yeah, so hopefully it'll pick up. They've got, um, they, someone's gone ahead of them and uh, put in sort of strategic charging stations where they can plug their motorbikes in, but I don't know. It's just not very exciting. Have you found any interesting articles in the news in this last week? Oh, yes, I certainly have. Let's delve into the news. <laughs> This is the Outer Hebrides Broadcasting Corporation, and here is what's been going on in the news. The first article I found this week, and I should ask, Greg, you've just moved into a new house, and one of the the last things you probably do is put up pictures and things and, you know, put your art on the wall. Are you much of an art lover? I don't mean Art Garfunkel, I'm (laughs) just asking in general if you are a fan of, of art. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, I'm a sort of passive fan. I, I, I like what I like. Uh, you know, I'm not. Um, I wouldn't say that I'm a 
connoisseur of art by any stretch of the imagination. But if I see if I see a nice picture and I think it'll look nice on my wall, I'll buy it. I don't, we don't have any pictures up at the moment, though. As you say, we're we're still moving in. Uh, that's understandable. It, it it was one of the last things we did when we moved in in terms of putting up pictures, and we're the same. In our hallway, we have five skateboards hanging up that my wife designed and painted uh, it was a, a business that she used to run and you know they're, they're great nice little talking point i think in the lounge we have a print of all is vanity by charles allen gilbert just because we we like it and think it's it's really cool and in the room that i'm recording right now i have a a picture that my mum gave me from a, an aberdeen artist and it's a, a flock of sheep and they are all wearing Aberdeen hats and scarves. So that's a nice little image that I like having on the wall. But some people really like art, and some people really like their food. So from the Daily Record this week, an avid art lover has unveiled his latest tasty acquisition, a still life of a square sausage and roll. Fair play, the guy's a chef, Sean Michael Martin... Three first names, eh, that's fair enough. He snapped up the original work of the iconic, it's iconic, Greg, Scott Snack for £120 from the Scottish Design Exchange. And it now has pride of place hanging on the wall of his flat in Southside Glasgow. Now, there's a picture of Sean here showing off his square sausage painting. And it's a canvas, which I would say is maybe about 45 50 centimeters by 50 centimeters it's not big it's not a massive but then i guess you'd probably be quite scared having a massive square sausage roll kind of hanging over you now what i really love about this article is that they have quoted sean quite a lot but they have written it as he has spoken it you know normally in a news article they would change kind of the the wording and and you know make it proper English, but they have written this as Sean has said it. Sean, 34, said, My eyes were instantly drawn to a painting up high on the wall. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. My eyes nearly popped out my head. (laughs) A wee painting of a roll and square sausage. Someone had taken hours and hours of real talent to paint a roll and square sausage. If you've got talent, can you not find something better to do than paint? A, 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 actually, no, I'm not going to go in It's <laughs> fair play to the artist. It's a, it's a beautiful, it looks very lifelike as well. Uh, so Sean added, it's that thing that your pal's ma cooked you after a night out when you were teenagers. The thing your gran sorted you out on a Sunday when you popped around. It has fueled a nation for decades, and I dare say, a part of the family. I mean, is Scotland as a nation fueled by square sausage roll? Like, is that what has fueled our nation for decades? And is it a part of the family? I'm not sure. But Sean's been fascinated by art since he was a wee boy. He's always enjoyed buying artwork of various styles and mediums over the years, and he enjoys being surrounded by art. He likes supporting local Scottish artists. It's always at the forefront if it catches my eye. And in all, however, I do enjoy art from all over. 
So this work has become a centerpiece in Sean's lounge, not to mention a talking piece. They've missed a pun there. They yeah. should have said a roll in peace. <laughs> uh, but he, it's, it's in his wall. It now sits pride in place in the living room, always comforting, always in sight, part of the family. And he said it was one of a pair. The other painting was oh. a bottle of HP sauce. Oh, I was going to say rolling bacon. <laughs> well, now... That brings me to a point. Uh, Sean did say he didn't buy that because in the current climate, he would rather not do anything with the Houses of Parliament. <laughs> Which, understandable. Sean, don't bring your political views into art. There's no place for it in the art world. Now, you've just mentioned uh, a valid point there, Greg, which I'm, I'm, I would like to raise. If you're talking about a sausage, see, I'd call it a sausage sandwich or a sausage roll. But I know you have very different views in terms of what a sausage roll constitutes. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, a, a sausage roll is the sausage wrapped in pastry that you can buy from Greg's, or they might get a little mini one at a party back in the eighties and nineties. A rolling sausage is what Sean has got a picture up in his wall of. So I mean, it's it's a bit. Very much a west, a west of Scotland thing, I think. You know, you because you you could cause confusion. You go into Greg's in the morning and ask for a sausage roll. The lassie behind the counter won't know what to give you. You know what I mean? But if you ask for a rolling sausage, she knows straight away. See, that's a good point you've raised there because the, the the last time I was in Greg's would have been over a year ago in Aberdeen, and I did purchase a couple of now. What would you call? similar to a rolling sausage, but you've got bacon inside it. What do you call that? A rolling sausage and bacon. <laughs> no, there's no sausage. There's just oh. bacon. It's just bacon oh. and oh. a bun. A rolling bacon. That's fucking bizarre. It's a bacon roll. It's a fucking <laughs> bacon roll. <laughs> so... That's right. I, I very. I'll need to think about that because, as I say, over a year ago when I was back in Aberdeen and I went into Greg's and I did purchase um, a couple of bacon rolls and a couple of sausage rolls. Now these were link sausages in a bun, and that to me is a sausage roll. I'd, however, yes, a pastry wrap is also a sausage roll. So it's it's a double sausage roll. It just sounds like you're making life hard for yourself and the and the person that you're buying your rolls and sausage off. Yeah, I'll need to look out for that next time in Aberdeen and have a look on the Greg's menu and see what they call sausage. It's probably sausage in a bun, to be fair. Yeah. probably call it. Anyway, but then it's, it is a West Coast thing. I mean, a square sausage, you don't get that in... Like Aberdeen, for example. Yeah, you, you have to. You got to look, for it. look yeah. for it. Yeah, you got to look for it in Aberdeen. It's in in the west of Scotland. It's, or I think the sort of default rolling sausage would be a square sausage. You may ask for a rolling link if you didn't want a square sausage from the bakers. If you wanted like a rolling. Oh Jesus, that's that's very complicated. <laughs> You've got to ask for a rolling link. Square sausage isn't a huge thing in Aberdeen, so I, I did spend a week in Falkirk and I did have square sausage eh, for a, a couple of days. Jesus Christ, it gave me fucking tremendous heartburn. I don't get that from a link sausage. Mm, yeah, no, I know. I mean, I, mean, I don't, I only, the only time I ever have a square sausage is when I'm at home. 
Like some people, like my old neighbour in, in Kuwait, if ever anybody was coming from Scotland to Kuwait, he would always ask them to bring some square sausage. And I'm not like, you know, you know, you, you know, you'll be the same sort of being, being an expat when you meet people like sort of fellow Scots and they're like, oh, I need to have like Scottish blend tea bags or I need to have square sausage. Like my my mum lived in Yemen for uh, about nearly just another five years. And then after that, they were in, with my stepdad for his work and then they were in Kazakhstan and they were, they're, at the moment they're in Australia. Now, I don't think she's as bad now, but whenever they were going back to Yemen after a, a break in Scotland, she would always take hundreds of like square sausage and Marks and Spencer stuff. Like, she, my mum's Marks and Spencer's daft. She certainly used to be anyway. Um, like loads of Marks and Spencer stuff, like food. And then she'd like pack it all up with ice uh, packs and stuff in there to travel with it and get it into Yemen. I've never really been like that. Do you know what I mean? It's like, well, you know, if, they, if I'm out and about in the supermarket here and I see Iron Brew, like, for example, yesterday I was in Lulu, the supermarket, and I saw Iron Brews. So I bought a couple of cans to have in the fridge because I, I like an Iron Brew. But I'm not like, oh, it's going to bring me back some square sausage. I'm craving square sausage. It just doesn't, but I don't, I, don't, I don't feel that strongly about any kind of foods from home, really. I always enjoy having them when I'm back. But what about you? Do you crave any? Creature comforts from home, food-wise? I, I can get pretty much anything here. The only thing that I desperately miss, of, of course, is Rowies. There's, you know, there's nothing that compares to that. And that's the the one thing that I do miss. And I will, if I'm back in Aberdeen, I am guilty that I will end up buying like 10 packs of Rowies and stuffing them in my suitcase and <laughs> getting back and putting them in the freezer. So a Rowie and, is, you know, them. is also known as a buttery, right? Am I right? It, that is a big debate in Aberdeen, whether it's a Rowie or a buttery. Right. And people, it, it's a debate that will rage on for years. I, I My go-to is Rowie. But yes, it's also known as a buttery. So for the benefit of people listening to this that haven't got a fucking clue what either a rowie or a buttery is, why don't you describe it? It's basically butter, lard, <laughs> and salt. <laughs> See, I never really I never really ate ate them when I was in Aberdeen because somebody told me when I was still quite impressionable that they were basically made from whatever landed on the bakery floor when the proper when they were finished making the proper bread and rolls. Yeah, probably. <laughs> it's it's uh, for the for the benefit of listeners that aren't from Scotland or Aberdeen or don't know what a rowie is. It's I kind of imagine like a flat croissant, like it's it's buttery and it's it's good, but it's it's filled with lard. It's heavy and, as hell and yeah, salt. Yeah. I mean, it's something like that. It's something ridiculous in a rowie. It's like 600 calories or something. Like, it, it, if you have two rowies, that's basically your daily allowance of calories. Um, and they are horrendous. And I have seen a few... I don't know, that's a good point. What would you call that? I have seen a few people in Aberdeen that will have two rowies with bacon in the middle as a bacon rowie. So is that a rowie and bacon in your world? I mean, I would... I mean, I mean, it's a heart attack so. on a plate, basically. Yeah, I suppose so. I mean, when I lived in Aberdeen in the northeast of Scotland, I was never really sure what the sort of correct kind of way was to have a, a rowie. You know, did you have it just with butter on it, that sort of warm with butter on it? Were you supposed to put 
a rasher of bacon on top, or was it for dipping into your beans with your fry up or whatever? I was never really sure. How would how would you normally eat them? That's the beauty with a rowie. You can have it any way. It's it's almost like a bird's eye potato waffle. It's waffly versatile. It's, it's rowily versatile. You can have it any way you want. You can have it dry if you want. You can have it cold with just a little bit of butter on it. You can have butter and jam. You could put bacon on it. What I my preferred method is stick it in the toaster. Pops up, nice and hot. A little bit of dairy lee. Oh, nice. Or you don't get dairy lee here. Philadelphia. A wee triangle. Triangle of laughing. No, not Philadelphia. I'm not a fucking psycho. Yeah. That's, no, that's, that's two cream cheese. You need the the processed cream cheese. Oh, right. So a, a, a wee triangle of laughing cow cheese smothered all over. Oh, heaven. Oh, fuck. I want one right now. Do you know what I like? I don't have any in the freezer. (laughs) Do, do, do you know what I like to spread a wee bit of Dairy Lee or Laughing Cow on? Digestive biscuits. Uh, yeah, I can give you that, yeah. yeah. Nice. Maybe I need to commission a, a local artist to paint me a picture of a rowie with a Laughing Cow on it. <laughs> anyway, enough about this. It's making me very hungry right now. <laughs> uh, what about yourself? Have you seen anything else in the news this week that's caught your eye? Well, I have seen a square sausage related story so as a expat who has lived overseas for a good five years and also lived in england for a few years i've always had to sort of defend the sort of scottish culinary form because we have a reputation of deep frying everything like you know there's the famous deep fried mars bar and i've met many an english person who has made fun of me because I'm from Scotland and a couple of chippies do deep fried Mars bars. Or, you know, they deep fried pizza is another one. Um, and so I've always like sort of passionately defended our country's culinary reputation. So, oh, fuck that. You know, we've got, you know, this fantastic food in Scotland, you know, some of the best ingredients in the world, some incredibly talented chefs, guys like Nick Mayer and etc. But this, this chippy in Fife has just made my job fucking 10 times harder. And honestly, I can't believe that nobody's done this before. So basically, there's a chippy in Fife. Oh, sorry, not Fife. Is it Fife? Yes, it is Fife, sorry, yeah. They have stepped up to the plate uh, in a bit of a sort of friendly chip shop contest that's going on in Scotland at the moment. Like uh, a canvas lang chippy was in the paper a few weeks ago for deep frying pickled onions. Um, these guys have deep fried a square sausage, or as it's to give it its Sunday name, a lorn sausage. So the, the the chippy is called Avarios. They apparently have wowed punters on social media with its battered take on the humble rolling square sausage. See, this journalist knows the correct way to put it. Experts have taken Scotland's unofficial national dish and caked it in chip shop batter that is loved the world over. <laughs> A Facebook post that unveiled the chip, the addition to the chippy's menu has been shared more than a thousand times. Many have shown their appreciation for this culinary wizardry. One wrote, now these are banging. And another said, this is something I need to try. So not exactly like bursting with enthusiasm. The bosses behind the Larios also claimed to have had fried pickled onions on their menu for years. So with a war of the Scotch chippies seemingly breaking out over social media, who knows what battered invitation will come next. So yeah, I mean, I think the biggest surprise about the article is that it's only someone is only just doing this now. But 
I find that really, I mean, I can't remember ever seeing a battered square sausage in a chippy. But some, surely, fuck, somebody's done that before 2020. Well, my only reference really is Aberdeen as such. And that's probably my go-to would be uh, like a battered sausage supper. So it could be a smoked sausage, which is battered, or I'd usually actually have like maybe like a, a, a white pudding supper or a black pudding supper mm. or a haggis supper, which is basically just a haggis sausage battered. Someone must have battered a square sausage before. This guy's taking the piss. Why Why is this news? I don't know. I guess there's not an awful lot of uh, light-hearted news in the, <laughs> going on at the moment. Um, especially in Scotland, that you know the, the sort of news over this last week is that the country's heading towards another lockdown. So I guess you got to find these little cheery news stories where you can. Uh, uh, funny that you mentioned the pickled onions because I also saw a news story this week about a Glasgow chippy that were selling pickled onions in batter, and they were saying it was a game changer, and this was the first people to do it. So I guess there's there is going to be a little war going on with. The, the chip shop that you've mentioned. In fact, that is a good point. Chipper or chippy? What do you say there? Uh, chippy. That's oh, a chipper. Uh, so, <laughs> do, do you know what they call? Yeah. Do, you, do you know what they call them in the in the Midlands in England? They call them chipperies. Pete's chippery is chipperies. an example. A chippery, yeah. Flash cunts. <laughs> uh, well, this Glasgow uh, chipper or chippy. chippy uh, is yeah selling pickled onions and they're fifty pence each or five for two pounds. Now I would say this guy wins because what was the name of your chip shop? Elarios in Fife. Ah, oh, no, I can't say anything because obviously that says to me that that's a, a kind of Italian-owned you know family name. Yeah, generation chip shop, much like much like Capaldi's in Gregory's Girl or Nard- or Nardini's um, in Largs. Famous one. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, my one wins, though. It's uh, the Codfather fish and chips. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, my next story. So, obviously, the, as you mentioned before, we're recording this on Halloween. You know, as the, uh, as the father of uh, two children, they get very excited about this time of the year. Not so much for Halloween, but because it's only... I don't know, however many sleeps till Christmas. Fucking, what is it? 25 plus 31, 46 sleeps. No, 56 sleeps till Christmas. So this story is about a wee boy called Ben Madden, who, like a lot of kids, is writing his uh, letter to Santa. He's only eight years old. On his on his letter, he, he asked for a gaming chair, plays games in, a 3D pen, not sure what a 3D pen is, and a tablet. But he finished the letter with uh, a little tirade summing up his feelings on the global coronavirus pandemic. So we can post this picture on the Instagram of the of uh, Ben's letter. His handwriting's fucking terrible, by the way. Uh, I, know, I know what you're going to say. Oh, he's only eight. But, yeah, my daughter's nine. Her handwriting's fucking much better. Basically, he it shows his gaming chair. I think that's what it says. Uh, his 3D pencil. But then it says on the side, fuck COVID. <laughs> yeah. Apparently his mum was left stunned. Um, she said, her name is uh, Sam Gillies. She's 37. She said the straight-talking Glasgow schoolboy was simply saying what we are all thinking. She said he gave me his list after he wrote it 
and I just sat it on the side. It wasn't until later on when I had sat down and read it I saw what else he'd written. I was a wee bit shocked at first, but then I just couldn't stop laughing. He's only saying what we're all thinking. Mm. I won't allow him to swear, she says, but on this occasion I won't be giving him into trouble. Uh, Sam shared Ben's Christmas list to a parenting Facebook page. Another parent thought it was hilarious. She said in her message, My wee boy left a message on his Christmas list. He isn't allowed to swear, but this cracked me up. I agree with him, TBH. And that's annoying as well, isn't it? TBH. Just right to be honest. I mean, I think if I was uh, if I was Ben's mum, I would be getting him a fucking handwriting tutor for his Christmas because it's illegible. Eight years old. <laughs> I'd be sitting the little fucker down and saying to him, look... Santa can't come this year because of COVID. Like, he's going to be spreading the disease if he is tearing around the world in his sleigh and distributing presents, which he's handled. So you're going to have to sanitise everything anyway. And Santa doesn't have time to sanitise himself after every house visit. So I think Santa's fucked this year. I think you got to just have to take the year off, I think. A well-earned year off, I think, you know. Yeah, I think he deserves a year off. So, yeah, uh, recover from his COVID kind of. He's probably had his elves on furlough at the start of the year as well. Do you know what I mean? So he's going to be behind. Uh, he's probably had to lay off some elves just because he's, you know, for the same reason that a lot of companies are having to lay people off. I don't know. I mean, this is what I would tell my kids anyway. Although my my kids don't really believe in Santa anymore. Uh, we were playing we were playing uh, Trivial Pursuit last night. Like the four of us, and I said, Oh, I said, I might go and buy Monopoly next time I'm in Borders. And Paula, my wife, said, Don't be doing that, it's gonna be Christmas soon. So I said, I said to my youngest daughter, who's nine, Renee, you need to ask Santa for Monopoly for Christmas. And she gave me a kind of sideways look and went, Santa, really? <laughs> I was like, Oh well, that ship sold, that, that ship sailed now. Oh, the magic has gone now. Magic was- uh, any children listening? Well. You shouldn't be, should be, first of all. Uh, yeah. But secondly, Santa is real. Of course he is. Yeah, so that was Ben. Sweary wee cunt. <laughs> now, I don't want to put anywhere in Scotland down or make a focal point of anywhere in Scotland, but there are quite a lot of news stories seem to come from one place in Scotland on the Swally. Can you think where that is, Greg? Uh, I don't even think for long. I know it's Falkirk. Now, it could just be that there have been a a lot of stories coming from Falkirk of late, but it does seem on the Swally, almost every week there is some story from Falkirk. And I want to bring attention to a Falkirk legend, James Dornian. The headline here from the Falkirk Herald reads, Drunken, foul-mouthed punter tried to punch female cop in Falkirk Bookies Brawl. This is our our hero, and he is a hero, James. Now, it has been said, frequent offender, James Dornian, 70, had calmed down in recent times. But try telling that to the police officer he tried to punch when she came to deal with his drink-fueled temper tantrum in the bookies. Now, we've all been there. He's been in the bookies. He's pished. He's lost his money. He's annoyed. Well, we haven't all been there. Obviously, I've never done that. But still, I can imagine the scenario. So, um, unfortunately, he uh, appeared in court uh, and he pled guilty 
to assault and behaving in a threatening manner in his local Willie Hills on Graham's Road, Falkirk. It was 8.50pm and police officers were called to attend at Willie Hills um, and James was there, he was intoxicated and he was shouting about being cheated out of money. He was asked to calm down and refrain from his behaviour. Uh, the police officers asked him to and he swore at them, called them cows and said that he would spit on them. He was informed that he was being arrested and they tried to put handcuffs on him but he attempted to strike a female police officer in the face and continued his verbal abuse. So his defence solicitor, Simon Hutchison, said that Dornian had been one of his best clients over the years. If a solicitor is calling you one of your best clients, I think you you might need to have a look at yourself there. But he'd recently managed to stay out of trouble. He still occasionally drinks, but this is the first offence he has been involved in for some time. I'm just hoping this is a bump on the road to a proper recovery. It, it was noted in the court reports that James, as of 2013, so seven years, he's been without any trouble at all. So, you know, fair play, James. He had amassed a total of 200 convictions. 200 convictions. Not 200 arrests. 200 convictions. James has been in court over 200 times now, facing up to, to what he's done. Like, it's amazing. It must all be minor stuff, because it's amazing mm. that he's not, you know, in jail. He was placed on a supervised community payback order for 12 months and a restriction of liberty order for two months, which means he must remain in his home between the hours of 6pm and 6am during that period. Well, lucky for James, I think kind of on a lockdown at the moment, so... He's not going to be going anywhere, really. I mean, 200 convictions. That is impressive for our our lovely hero, James. I'd like to meet James. Yeah, I'm not sure I would. Uh, <laughs> I mean, we, I, I think we did. So if we assume that he he's 70 now, right? If we assume that he got into trouble just to make the maths easy when he was 20 for the first time, that's like four convictions a year. Four convictions a year. For like 50 years on average. That's quite a lot. <laughs> but you've got to imagine, 200 convictions, he must have spent a bit of time inside. Like, how does that... How do you get to 200 convictions and not... So it's, I, it's, I, I don't know. I can understand at the moment him being 70, so they're obviously not going to give him a custodial sentence, but that's a fair effort, James. Well done. Well, it's, it's, well hopefully he's learned his lesson. And the bookies, I mean, what what's going on? I mean, apart from the football, what's he betting on at the minute? Surely most things are off. Is the horse riding still on? Still? Yeah, I think horse racing's on, yeah. Is it? Oh, well. Yeah, football's on as well. You can still bet on the football. You can still bet on... Yeah, yeah. Who knows? You can bet on anything yeah. nowadays. All righty. Well, look, the last uh, thing I've got, it's not really a new story as such, but as it's Halloween... We've not really done anything scary in terms of podcast content. I found a list of what the Alex Watson from The Scotsman considers to be six of the scariest Scottish films ever made. Do you want to have a guess at some of the entries in this little list? Scary Scottish films? Um, yeah. I've no idea. It depends on what you would class as scary. I, I mean, Shallow Grave could be kind of 
Possibly. Graves uh, on the list, yeah. Okay. Gregory's Two Girls. I think that's quite a scary <laughs> film. There's some scary... Uh, does he not like become obsessed with a girl in his class that he's teaching Gregory and Gregory's two girls? So I I believe so. So that could be why it's on the, the scary list. You wouldn't get away with that nowadays. Uh, no, I'm not sure. What is on the list? Uh, well, Sh- Shallow Grave, as you mentioned, like the top one uh, is The Wicker Man. Now, I was a bit, oh, I was a bit sort of, well, is The Wicker Man a... I don't know if I know it's obviously it was filmed in um, Dumfries and Galloway and uh, it was filmed in Ayrshire and Sky, but I thought, well, was it a Scottish production? I was thinking, so I, maybe it's not. Maybe that isn't uh, too important for the list. So the Wicker Man's right at the top from 1973. There's one here that I never heard of called The Dead Outside. Have you heard of The Dead Outside? No, I haven't. It was made in 2008. Uh, it was filmed again in Dumfries and Galloway in just 15 days. It's an independent film set on an isolated Scottish farm during a devastating neurological pandemic. Uh, Shallow Grave is the next one on the list, as you mentioned. Most commercially successful British film in 1995. Uh, set in Edinburgh, but predominantly filmed in Glasgow. Uh, I won't go through the plot because we'll, go th- we'll do Shallow Grave later on. Um, the next one is... The Debt Collector, which is a movie with Billy Conley in it, that you might remember, Billy Conley and Ken Stott. I think it's so based on, sort of loosely based on um, the Scottish former uh, gang member and now successful artist Jimmy Boyle. Uh, so that's in there as well. And then Under the Skin, the one with Scarlett Johansson in it that was filmed around Glasgow, where she plays a sort of alien harvesting men. And the last one... Is a film actually that I've seen. I've only seen it once. Again, it's got Ewan McGregor in it. Young Adam, Ewan McGregor and Peter Mullen, set in the 1960s. Uh, Tilda Swinton, David Byrne from The Talking Heads does the soundtrack. It's quite a good film. I didn't, I'm not really sure why it's, uh, I've only seen it once and it was like, when it was new. Um, it's more of a sort of murder mystery. I didn't think it was particularly, as, as good a film as it is, I don't think it was particularly scary. Um but yeah, that's what those are the those are what Alex Watson, late of the Scotsman, considers to be the six scariest Scottish films. Okay, fantastic. Well, I guess that wraps up the news for this week. Then shall we delve into a little bit of a review and have a look at something from Scottish pop culture? Let's do it. Let's do it. So it was my choice this week, and I have picked Complicity. Uh, so it was a, a 2000 film based on the book of the same name by very famous Scottish author Ian Banks. Uh, it was directed by Gavin Miller, who adapted Banks's The Crow Road for the BBC prior to making this film. A cast including Johnny Lee Miller, Brian Cox and Keely Hawes, it tells the story of Cameron Coley, a young Scottish journalist with a keen interest in exposing the rich and powerful. Things seem to be going quite well for Cameron until someone starts murdering the people in his articles in pretty gruesome ways. Cameron would appear to be guilty and in the frame for these murders. But is he? I'm correct in thinking that we just touched upon it the last episode. You hadn't seen this film before, had you, Greg? No, I'd never seen it. I mean, I was... I was kind of vaguely aware of it, but I was quite when I saw when I was doing my research for the film and saw when it was released and things like that. I'm quite surprised that I never saw it because you know it came out in 2000 when I was very much at the height of my 
sort of obsession with movies and things and with it being a, a film set in Scotland, I would have I would have thought I would have sought it out. I don't know how it uh, sort of passed me by. Had you seen it before? No, I'm the same. And I, I can't understand. It came out in 2000, which is similar to you. I was kind of at the height of, you know, I was in Blockbuster at least once a week getting something um, or, or renting something. In fact, I... I was at uni at the time, so I would have always... I had to pass Blockbuster on the way home from uni, and I would stop in every Monday and get whatever had just come out in terms of new releases. I ended up working at that Blockbuster later on. This just completely passed me by, and it was the first time I'd seen it. And I have read the book at at least twice, and I, I had read it, I think, before the film came out, so I'm not sure why... I hadn't seen this before, but yeah, it was it was my first time seeing it. But as I say, I had read the book, so I was very kind of familiar with the story. But it was also a a nice little reminder. So coming into this fresh and not having seen it or or read the book or anything, what were your thoughts on this? Did you enjoy this film? I did enjoy it. It's quite a short film, but it didn't take me too long to. To get into it, I, I like Johnny Lee Miller. I think he's, uh, I think he's a great actor, and I think he does a superb Scottish accent. So much so that the the first film I saw him in was Train Spotting, where he, he plays Sick Boy. And it wasn't until quite a long time after I'd seen Train Spotting that I learned that he was actually English and his accent was put on. So yeah, no, I found I I, I enjoyed it. It's got a sort of um, got almost a sort of kind of Hitchcock vibe to it. I think you know what I mean. It's sort of hero that's not quite an anti-hero but not quite a hero either and so you know a sort of flawed hero and things and the kind of murder mystery element of it no i i really enjoyed it how does it compare to the book for you um yeah it, it it's good it it's very condensed i mean i think i know that you are similar to me kind of uh, an avid reader and whenever you see a film adaptation of a book it never quite lives up to the book if, if you've read the book before because you have this image in your mind and I think they do condense things a lot uh, which of course you know they cram it into a, a film which is just over an hour and a half long they they miss a few things out it, it's a bit less gruesome and there's a couple of things that they they touch upon but don't fully explain which I'll I'll come back to later but yeah it's quite a faithful adaptation in terms of making it into a film. Touching upon Johnny Lee Miller there, I he is fantastic in this, and he is a great actor. Is he possibly the most non-Scottish actor to play a Scottish part, if if that makes sense, in terms of he obviously has been in Train Spotting, he's been in Train Spotting too. He's in Complicity, he's in Plunkett and McLean. Is he possibly one of the most you know, actors that does a Scottish accent, if it, if that makes sense. Yeah, I I I follow you. I I don't think he plays a Scottish character in in Plunkett and McLean though. I think his character's English in that one. But to your point, I mean, the Scottish accent quite often gets mangled um, by non Scots actors. Uh, when we uh, did a, I did a little uh, post on Instagram just a, just asking for people's opinions on actors that have done the best Scottish accent in years gone by. So I, I nominated Johnny Lee Miller, obviously. I nominated Jamie Bell for his part in Filth. He does good Scottish accent there. 
Nicola Stapleton, who we covered before doing the Young Person's Guide Becoming a Rockstar, and Chris Pine playing Robert the Bruce in Outlaw King. So you 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 chimed in with Brendan Gleeson as Hamish in Braveheart. You also gave a nod to Robin Williams in Mrs. Doubtfire. I'm not sure about that. Um, That's a great accent. <laughs> fan of the podcast. Well, I don't know she's a fan of the podcast, but she seems to be a fan of the Instagram page. Uh, the lovely Simone Labib from um, The Young Person's Guide Becoming a Rockstar has nominated Mike Myers in So I Married an Axe Murderer and Shrek. And if I remember, I've not seen So I Married an Axe Murderer for a long, long time, but if I recall... His Scottish accent in that is quite good. And I think his father was Scottish, Mike Myers, if I remember correctly. I think his dad came from Scotland. But Simone votes for Nicola Stapleton, although she does say that she's not being that she's not being unbiased. She's being completely unbiased. I'm not sure she is. So if you can think of anybody that we've missed off her list, then by all means get in touch with us on the socials and let us know. Another actress in the in the film, uh, Keely Hawes, obviously since this came out, become like a, a bit of a British television megastar, having done Line of Duty and The Bodyguard and Upstairs, Downstairs and all that, but she's quite young in this. But she also does a Scottish accent, and it's good. It's a good Scottish accent. I've got to give her her props. If I'd seen this in 2000 and I wasn't aware of Keely Hawes, and obviously I, I am very aware of her now, having seen Ashes to Ashes and The Bodyguard and, yeah. of course, Line of Duty, I probably would have thought she was Scottish if I... <laughs> Had seen this for the first time. Yeah, she 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 plays a good part, really good part. And then who else have we got? And of course the other the other megastar for us that's in the movie is Brian Cox, which is I think was one of the reasons why you you picked this right because you've been watching Succession. Yes, it was the reason I picked it. I've, I've been watching a lot of Succession, and he is fantastic. And I, you know I've always been aware of Brian Cox. I wanted to pick something. I was going to pick Bob Servant to be quite honest. But then I ended up looking through his biography and I saw Complicity and I, I thought, wow, I've I've never seen this. So this would be ideal for the Swally, both of us going in cold, something that we hadn't seen. So it would give us a chance to, to look at something from a, a new perspective. So yeah, I, Brian Cox is, is great in this as well. And it's amazing. I mean, of course, this was like from 2000. So I've been watching succession with my wife and that's obviously filmed you know 2019 and as i'm watching complicity she was behind me on the the dining table doing a a jigsaw and when he comes on screen i i said do you recognize him nope and i had to (laughs) kind of explain we've been watching him on tv recently no don't recognize him Uh, so i kind of explained a bit of the character oh it's him oh wow he looks so different I guess he does, but then you have to think, 20 years has passed. You know, I think we all mm-hmm. look a little bit different after 20 years. When you get into the later stages of life, you, you, you look a bit older. Yeah. Uh, but he's fantastic in this, and he just comes across as such a, a kind of, you know, aggressive, kind of menacing character, but quite fair at times as well. But yeah, he's he's just brilliant. In this, I re- I really enjoyed watching him in this role. However, the one point I would have to make is that he is effectively, you know, the the kind of main detective kind of guy. His enforcers, in terms of the interrogation team, are Andy Gray, 
and Fort Kiernan. <laughs> Two kind of very well-known Scottish comedy actors. I don't know if I could take it seriously, seeing Andy Gray and Ford Kiernan kind of, you know, it was almost like Ford was doing like a Ronald Valeres kind of impression, <laughs> kind of trying to intimidate Cameron to giving up the information that he might know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the only other... I mean, I've seen Ford Kiernan in, I think, only one other sort of dramatic role. He, he's got a kind of blink-and-you'll-miss-it part, like, li- like literally blink-and-you'll-miss-it part in Gangs of New York, the Martin Scorsese film. But he was in one, is it uh, Sea of Souls, a sort of uh, kind of procedural murder mystery TV series that was set in Glasgow, and it, it had David Morrissey in it, and based on a... A kind of journalist, like a young female journalist, then Ford Kiernan was like our sidekick. And it's set in the, I can't remember if it was set in the sort of late 60s or the 1970s, but it was quite good. I think it's Sea of Souls, I'll have to look it up, but it's, that's, that's again, it's maybe one we can have a look at on a future episode. I mean, I, I like Ford Kiernan, I mean, I think him and Greg Hempel have sort of tried for quite a long time to break into mainstream acting you know it's sort of the dramatic acting i know that i know that uh, greg hemp who auditioned for the role of scotty in the jj abrams star trek film it was beaten by uh beaten out by simon Pegg. so yeah i, th- I don't know I, I, I mean i don't know about greg hemp but i think ford kiernan's maybe been a bit more successful in that and he's a good actor to give me his due but i know what you're talking about in this um in this one, you're so he does seem a bit like Ronald Villiers auditioning for the role of a CID guy. <laughs> to actually talk about the film a little bit, we have people getting murdered in quite some gruesome ways. Now, in the book, it's it, it's very gruesome. In the film, not so much. There is one particular murder: the the body in the bath, which is quite graphic in terms of you know he's disarmed and he has his arms cut off and Cameron's on the scene in Jersey which makes him look slightly guilty but people are popping off all these people that are they're all connected and Cameron seems to be the one that is connected throughout all of it. Yeah you're led to believe that there's some sort of political agenda going on. Uh, Cameron Johnny Lee Miller's character is you know he was a being an activist when he was younger there's some flashbacks to him and Keely Hall's character uh, and Rachel Sterling's character back when they were supposed to be sort of young students at what looks like a kind of fast lane nuclear submarine type base uh, protesting. And you sort of learn that he's, when he was given the job of being the TV critic for a week or something, he's he had made some in, inflammatory remarks in the articles that he was writing about some of the people that uh, were being murdered. Of course, the, the first murder that we see is is his uh, boss at the newspaper when he's thrown out the window. So, yeah, you're, you're very much led to feel that it's part of a bigger sort of, conspiracy, sort of conspiracy type agenda and all these murders are motivated by that. Obviously, these murders are happening and Cameron is kind of feeling a bit on edge. And the scene where we first meet Andy, it is he kind of lets himself into Cameron's flat. And... Cameron wakes up and runs out and he grabs a fucking mace off the wall. In an incident like that, do you have any medieval weapons on your <laughs> wall? 
that you could maim a burglar with? Uh, no, I don't. I mean, uh, probably. I think the most dangerous thing in my house is probably the bread knife. I would say. I just you? wondered. That was the <laughs> uh, no. I'd, it'd be like a golf club. I just love the fact that Cameron has all these medieval weapons in the wall, and his first instinct is just grabs this fucking mace, and he's going to clobber Andy until he realizes it's Andy in his flat, who is of course an old childhood friend from the past, and this kind of brings back the flashbacks and they're obviously you know friends andy and you find out about andy's sister claire and of course uh keely Hoss's character Avon. they're all you know they've all been childhood friends yeah so you come back to andy cameron's sort of childhood friend uh well played by paul higgins i would say here you know paul higgins is one of those actors who you sort of see him in something you think oh you know, what the fuck was here? And you end up going in a bit of a Wikipedia rabbit hole, IMBD rabbit hole. But, I mean, my favourite Paul Higgins performance has to be Jamie in the thick of it uh, and in the loop where, it, you know, he's, he's playing a, a character quite similar to Peter Capaldi's arguably now iconic character of Malcolm Tucker where they just seem to... They just seem to try and outdo each other to see who can be the most offensive. <laughs> Malcolm Tucker is a well-known character in the thick of it before Jamie comes in. And Malcolm Tucker, I, I think his introduction to Jamie is like the angriest man in Scotland. You're thinking, wow, for him to <laughs> say that. And yeah, Jamie is fantastic. And that would be my go-to. And also, he is in Line of Duty mm-hmm. uh, with Keely Hawes, of course. So, yep. I guess that's a... All comes round again. Yep. Um, yeah, but I, I mean, he was, he was also in, a, obviously, in the last um, in the last episode of The Swallow, we did the pilot episode of Taggart. And I ended up watching, like, the first, maybe, four kind of Taggart stories, if you like, you know. And uh, he was in... Paul Higgins was in the one with uh, Alan Cumming, and they're both quite young. He plays Alan Cummings' pal. And again, I was like, oh, who is that guy? I know that guy's face. Who is that guy? And then, you know, again, phone out. The device that knows everything. Gave me all the answers. And yeah, I mean, he's, he's been acting for a long time. And he's, you know, he's just, he's, he's done a lot of really good work. But I think he's very good in this. It's not off, you know, like, so apart from Jamie, a lot of the parts that he's had, they haven't really required him to become, emo- like, particularly emotional or well sincerely emotional and you know i guess a bit of a spoiler uh as andy who is later revealed to be the murderer you know he's he's just kind of holding it together by the end you know and that's the thing you don't really think it's him until Mm. you get later on because he just comes across as kind of the the posh kind of nice friend he's been in the army You, you get from the backstory in terms of his sister Claire has obviously died and he has some issues with that and uh, but you don't really think it could be him until later on and then it's it's revealed and then, you know so you you mentioned I think you mentioned earlier that the director of the movie and uh, and the writer uh, so the director Gavin Miller and the writer Brian uh, Elsley, who also wrote The Young Person's Guide, Becoming a Rockstar, amongst other things, had collaborated on The Crow Road previously, another adaptation of uh, Ian Banks' book. And actually, apart from 
the Wasp Factory and I think the Bridge or yeah, I think the Bridge are the only two Ian Banks books that I've ever read. I don't know why I've not read more of his 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 uh, work, but I, I certainly intend to after watching after sort of reacquainting myself with them through this movie. So you know those guys collaborated on the Crow Road, and as such, there's a few actors from the Crow Road who pop up in the film as well. There's uh, uh, Bill Patterson as um, I think he's like Cameron. He plays Cameron's editor. Uh, very famous, very famous Scottish actor. Most recently, I think, um, uh, playing the role of the dad in Fleabag. There's um, Paul Young, is one of the main cast in The Crow Road too. Uh, he um, probably most famous to the modern, uh, to the maybe young listeners as uh, Shug in Still Game. And then an actress who I've not really seen an awful lot of, to be honest, but she's a very good actress, Valerie Edmond. She's got a small part in this. Is well, I think she's kind of Cameron's next in charge before Bill Patterson, I think, isn't she? Um, she plays uh, uh, Josie. And uh, Alex Norton pops up as well. Swally favourite Alex Norton. Um, I, th- I think he's been in more... I think, I think he's, he's the actor who's been in most of the things that we've reviewed on the Swally so far. Um, I had a day and- off yesterday and... I had a, a spare minute, and I thought, let's do this before it gets out of hand. So I have started a spreadsheet oh. of <laughs> swally appearances. Now, we actually have three actors tied on three. That's quite impressive, considering this is, what, episode eight. And we have three actors that are tied on three appearances uh, for the swally so far. Two of them appear in complicity. So they have kind of tied our previous champion. Can you name the three? Alex Norton is one, obviously. Uh, Stephen McCall? Yes. Gregory's dad, Dave Anderson? Yes. Dave Anderson, (laughs) yes. So they are tied. The three of them are on three uh, appearances for Swally appearances so far. And we get the first Swally appearance from Richard Madden as well. Yeah, I mean, and I didn't realise that was Richard Madden playing the young Andy in the flashback scene until I was, after I'd watched it. Because he doesn't look, he doesn't look like himself, if that makes sense. Do you know what I mean? Not like the, he hadn't, um, he obviously hadn't, he was just like a young teenager. He hadn't uh, grown into the sort of smouldering heartthrob Richard Madden that, uh, that we know now, you know. He still had his freckles. He certainly did, and I think that's the the beautiful thing about the Swally. We are going back on young Scottish talent. You know, we've we've covered Gerard Butler, we've covered Richard Madden now. Who are we going to uncover next? We'll see. I tell you, another thing that I really enjoyed about this film is some of the location filming. There's some like some iconic uh, parts of Scotland there. Obviously, uh, South Queen's Ferry features quite heavily in there. Rannoch Moor, um, the Loch Goyle Head is another location. Inch Mickery, right at the end, which is the wee sort of castle on the island, which is just under the fourth rail bridge, the fourth rail bridge in the middle of the fourth. But also Glencoe, and apparently the cast were hosted by a Mister, a famous Mister Savile, ex radio DJ, marathon runner, and celebrated paedophile. <laughs> Who famously lived in Glencoe uh, right up until he up until he died. Apparently, he 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 sort of bonded with 
Johnny Lee Miller over their shared love of marathon running. They, so there you go. When you say he welcomed the cast, it wasn't the on the flashback scenes the <laughs> the children that he welcomed. I don't think. I, I, I certainly would hope not. I, th- I think we might have heard about that by now, if that was the case. Maybe 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 he was a technical advisor on the on the nonsense, perhaps. I have no idea. A technical advisor. <laughs> a, a good point. Uh, to talk about that, that is one of the differences from the book. Uh, you have the scene in the film where they are discussing... You've got young Andy and a young Cameron, and I think young Andy says that he's got an erection... Do you want to see? I'm sure in the book, I seem to recall that they they are actually caught kind of wanking each other off in the, the bushes. And that's where this guy comes in and obviously, as you see in the film, abusing Andy um, or molesting him. Yeah. We should say. And then Cameron comes back and smacks him over the head. And fair play to those two little kids dragging a body and shoving it down a well. That's got to be a fair heft. A dead body sticking it down that well. So that's one thing that's kind of left out of the book. The other thing, and I don't know if you picked up on it, and they they kept it in the film, but didn't, if, if that makes sense, is when Cameron gets kind of arrested and he's being interrogated by Brian Cox, Andy Gray and Ford Kiernan, <laughs> <laughs> He kind of starts coughing, and he keeps that cough throughout the rest of the film. Right. And, you know, he does have, and I noticed it, that he does have this cough. And at the end of the book, basically the ending is that Cameron finds out he has terminal lung cancer. Mm. Which they kept out of the film, I presume to give it a light, happy ending. I mean, I don't know how a happy ending it is. You know, effectively, Andy's escaped, spoiler, and... You've got Cameron and Brian Cox back on the boat, sharing a, mm-hmm. a lovely cigarette together. Yeah, at the end of the book, he he finds out he's got terminal lung cancer. Yeah, maybe maybe they just had to keep it a little bit light. I mean, there's he does talk Cameron about how he just loves smoking, and he knew, you know, when we see the flashback scene when he's having his first cigarette, he said that he, he said that he knew that he would he would be a smoker and he would smoke until he died, and it was because I mean. He's an addict, right? He's a, you know, he's, he's we we see him doing cocaine, you know, we see him smoking weed, we see him smoking cigarettes, we see him drinking, you know, he's 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 a, he's a man of many vices. I admit it. Over time, I've developed some bad habits, and this is the worst. No real hit after a first drag, and only cancer, heart disease, and gangrene to look forward to. A stupid, stupid drug. I know I'll never stop. Of course, when you're young, nothing seems inevitable. His other vices, as you say, he likes, and similar to the book, but they they don't go into it in huge detail in the film, is in the book, his basic hobbies are smoking, drinking whiskey, and playing video games. That sounds like most sort of young men in their 20s. (laughs) Yeah, sounds great. (laughs) I I, I couldn't quite determine the, the video game that he was playing. In the film, in the book, it is a... I think it's a made-up kind of video game. It's called, like, Despot or something. But in mm-hmm. the in the film, I'm not sure. Almost like a kind of Carmageddon-type game or something. Do you remember Carmageddon? Yeah, I remember uh, downloading it on my on an old iPad 
um, and, and playing it and it, it actually playing quite well. I remember there was a big sort of drama about that game and other similar games back around about the same time as this film came out I think <laughs> you know with the, the kind of media attacking games like Grand Theft Auto and um, that, that other one that Rockstar made where you're a prisoner escaping from a manhunt you're escaping oh that was a great game yeah, I loved so, that game. You had to dispatch people by like dropping fridges on their head or suffocating them with plastic bags or stabbing them yeah. in the neck and things like that. Yeah. I wanna play that again. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, mean, I, was for that. I was gonna say the other thing which we haven't mentioned about the film and about Keely Hall's character of Vaughn. So she is she is married to William, who is who we later find out, um, well, he, he sort of comes across as a kind of upper middle class, successful businessman. We find out later on in the film that uh, he's actually the reason he's so rich is because he's he's either dealing drugs or he's laundering drugs money uh, or something like that. But Cameron is having an affair with Avon behind William's back, like a very much just a physical affair. But she likes, uh, I think, rough sex is uh, understating it. A bit. I mean, there's one scene yeah. in particular which is quite uncomfortable where Amarin tends to be a kind of intruder and rapist, and then we realise that actually it's been arranged beforehand, and she's sort of, it's all roleplay and she's expecting it. But it's a bit uncomfortable, right? Uh, that scene in particular left me quite uncomfortable. I, I think they, they play it up quite humorous to begin with, in terms mm. of the, you have the, the bondage and it's all fun, it's a bit kinky, and I think prior to the, the burglar rape scene, you have the, the scene where they are, she is taking like hot coffee in her mouth and then sucking him off and (laughs) then using ice cubes and you see Cameron limping the next day when he comes into his desk and he's in the office and I think that's a a good depiction the the rape scene did leave me quite uncomfortable I I should say not rape scene it is a a consensual does that even make sense a consensual rape yeah role play would be the best thing Rapey role it's play. a, it's a, it's a bit of a an odd scene, which left me a little bit uncomfortable. But hey, that's what she's into, and that's the the thing where you can kind of identify with Cameron in a way. He is obviously in love with her and wants to be with her, but she's quite happy in the lifestyle she's accustomed to, married to William, who is obviously very rich because, as we find out, he's obviously a drug dealer and. She just wants to to go to him for the kind of rough, kinky sex. But I think Cameron would quite like to settle down with her almost yeah. and have a normal life, if if you know what I mean. Not that um, rough sex isn't normal, if that's what you're into. I'm not saying that in any way. Are you, are you just envisioning like an, someone angrily typing out an email? You know, my, my husband and I... I've always enjoyed rough sex and surprise sex and creating rapey scenarios, and we consider ourselves to be completely normal. Well, we haven't had any complaints about pop play. Well, that's true. Uh, so I think we're we're okay there. The other, I mean, I think the, the other actress who's in this film, and again, I didn't really know anything about her, but it turns out that she's been in like loads of things that I've seen, uh, is Rachel Sterling, who plays the adult Claire in the flashback scenes. Uh, Andy's sister. She she plays a good part in this, I think. Rachel Sterling. 
She does, and it took me a while to realise who it was. I am quite familiar with her because I have watched Detectorists, and I like her in that. And my wife watches something that she's in. I don't know what it is. It's called, like, The Women of Blythe Manor or something, or The Young Women's Fun Club. It's about these, like, four women that do crime detecting. Some shite. She's in that, and... So I've seen her in that, and obviously I've seen her in Detectorists, and then it, it took me a while to recognise. It wasn't until the scene where she's actually in her underwear, and I know that's going to sound bad, <laughs> but I hadn't seen her in her underwear before. Uh-huh. So it's strange that that was when I would recognise her. Yeah, that was the, the the time that I kind of was like, oh, it's Rachel Sterling. And uh-huh. Of course, she is very famously married to Guy Garvey from Elbow. I mean, I um, I did see her in something quite recently. Turns out as well. Uh, I don't know if you remember. There was a film came out maybe sort of late nineties with uh, Billy Conley and Jimmy Neal and Bill Nighy and um, Timothy Spall called uh, "Still Crazy" about an old seventies rock band that get together, get they get back together in like the late nineties. It's got uh, it's got the lovely Donna Air in it for a little small part. Remember Donna Air? I, I remember Donna Air. Um, yeah. I still crazy. I do kind of remember. I don't think I've ever seen it, but now you've described the cast list, I kind of want to see it. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 okay. It's you know, it's quite it's quite good fun. Uh, to go back to my favourite line of the film is when you kind of get the big reveal. They go to the the Cowgate Centre and you see the the butcher's window. And it has the the body parts of the the doctor that effectively killed Claire Mm -hmm. because he gave her paracetamol and she had a heart condition, but she was a massive fucking cocaine addict. So that's probably why she had a heart condition. And you get the the phone call comes in and Johnny Miller, Cameron, sorry, uh, says, you know, it's okay, you can turn off the voice box, Andy. And he does, which is, quite impressive to straight away effectively okay that's a fair cop gov the game's up and cameron just delivers this beautiful line of you know you've made your point now can you stop killing people okay what i think you made your point andy can you stop killing people now but it's (laughs) the way he delivers it it's just like, like he's like i'm so fucking done with this I can't be arsed. Can you just stop this now? I thought there was like a little, there was a little shade of, in that line, maybe a little shade of like Sick Boy or even maybe Renton. You know what I mean? Just in that sort of dry, matter of fact way he says it, you know? Yeah, kind of like, can we just be done with this now? Yeah, in fact, what is the line he delivers um, when they go on the. You know, and and we will come to train spotting later. But when they go on the train, and before Renton delivers like a a shite being Scottish speech, th- there is something sick boy says, kind of that does sound quite similar. Oh, he says, let's well, say something like, "I know you, I know you, you and Lizzie are having problems, but don't take it out on us, to Tommy or something." That's like it. That. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Very similar delivery. In terms of the uh, the way. So yeah, again, John Lee Miller, fantastic acting in that. And he also does it as well. Like when Andy has him kind of in the cave and uh, 
he's doing him almost like a Bond villain delivering out his plan and again he just kind of delivers this line about like you're not God Andy I want justice now I don't want to wait till judgment day you're not God Andy no nobody is uh, yeah that's a, a a great part and a great scene I think yeah I mean I think he's I think it's always I, I like seeing Jordan D. Miller in a in a in a lead role, and I, I can't think of too many movies where he's played a lead. You know, he's obviously like one of the joint leads in Train Spotting, but Train Spotting is really I think it's more Ewan McGregor's film. You know, he's I think probably is more of a supporting actor in Train Spotting, maybe more of a more of a joint lead in Train Spotting too. Obviously, joint lead in Plunkett and McLean with. Uh, Robert Carlyle. Um, I've, I've never seen Hackers. I think he's a lead in that because his face is in the front of the poster, but I've never watched it, so I don't know. But, uh, you know, most I think most of where he's been successful since kind of train spot and John Lee Miller has been on TV, in particular American TV. Like he was in quite, I think he did quite a few seasons of Elementary where he plays a modern Sherlock Holmes with Lucy Liu, and he was in that one, Elias Stone. I don't really know what that was about, so I never saw it. But yeah, it's good to see him in a lead role in a film. Uh, he was in, uh, I don't know if you've ever watched Dexter, but he was in series six of Dexter. Yeah, he's maybe settled into kind of, you know, American TV because you say he was in Elementary. As I say, I've mentioned Dexter and I think he's done a few things, but he is a he's a great actor. And of course, you have a, a fun fact that we've mentioned before about John Lee Miller. Oh yeah, his, his uh, grandfather was the original actor to play M in the first sort of handful or maybe more um, James Bond films. Bernard Lee. So there you go. That's another Bond connection to the Swally. I think the last one we had was Nicola Stapleton as a like a, an extra in Octopussy when she was <laughs> when she was a wee girl. I'm sure. I'm sure there's probably more than that if we were to look a bit deeper. Do you think Johnny Lee Miller could have played James Bond if it had been a few years earlier? Obviously not now, but I think he could. I think he could probably. He could probably play Bond now. I think even. I mean, he's. I mean, the most recent thing I've seen him in was probably T Train Spotting Two, and he's clearly in good shape. You know, I mean, it's, he, he can't be... I, I don't imagine that he's much older or younger than, than uh, Daniel Craig. They're probably about the same age. So I think he could play Bond now. Depending yeah, on go for a younger... Yeah, I have heard Richard Madden's name get get bounced about, and obviously uh, Tom Hardy's been linked with a role as well. It'll be interesting to see who they come up with. Anything else to say on complicity? Is there, there anything else that pops out? No, I don't think so. I mean... Well, there was. I did, I did find out when I was doing my research. So, the film had a couple of different names um, when it was released overseas. Uh, in in America, it was called Retribution. I don't know if that's because they couldn't rely on American audiences to know what complicity meant. And in Japan, interestingly, so when Cameron's being interrogated by Andy Gray and Ford Kiernan. <laughs> um, there's the music that's playing kind of reminded me a little bit of Bernard Herrmann's score for Psycho, which I know mm. is, is certainly one of my favourite films. I believe it's also one of yours. Um, yes. And in, the, in Japan, the poster for the film 
had a, a scene that's not really in the it's not really in the film, but it sort of is where the guy has his arms cut off. But they take it a bit further, and there's all these kind of it's a sort of dismembered body kind of laid out in the poster. Uh, and then in Japan, they they titled the film Psycho two thousand and one. Sort of connecting mm. it to the old uh, Hitchcock film, which I thought was quite interesting. But other than that, um, I mean, the, the only other point I would want to make about complicity uh, is just to talk a wee bit more about Brian Cox for a minute. Because when you look back at his kind of resume as an actor, he's been acting since the mid-60s. And the thing I like about Brian Cox, and you mentioned Bob Servant Independent before, so he can do, like, the Bourne films, for example, Matt Damon. Like, huge, multi-million dollar movies. And... Be absolutely brilliant. I mean, he's very good in the Bourne films as the baddie. And then go and record a comparatively low-budget Scottish comedy series for the BBC, in which he plays the lead. And I know he's very... He's from he's from Dundee. He's very proud of coming from Dundee. I think you mentioned before that his character in Succession comes from Dundee too, and, and Dundee is, is uh, referred to a few times. They make a big point of it that he is... From yeah, Dundee, Dundonian. his character, and they mention it a lot. And yeah, yeah he's he's here, and Brian Cox, yeah, he's a very proud Dundonian. But it's just that this kind of prolific amount of work that he's been doing, like pretty much since the beginning, since he started acting, you know, everything from, as I said, small, fairly low budget comedy series to the BBC to massive HBO multi-million dollar series and movies and famously uh, was the first actor to play character of Hannibal Lecter uh, in uh, the the movie Manhunter based on the book The Red Dragon and you know I, I always I always liked his I don't, I don't know if I preferred his portrayal of Hannibal Lecter to Anthony Hopkins but I always felt that Anthony Hopkins later on like towards the end of Silence of the Lambs and in Hannibal it becomes a bit of a, almost a sort of caricature of a scary villain, where there was something about the way Brian Cox played the character in Manhunter. And, that, I mean, he's just, in the whole film, he's just in a cell. You know what I mean? Being interviewed. Um, he's not, you, you don't see him, like, his, his murder, like, the murders he committed are referred to, but you don't see him do, doing anything like that. You know, I think the detective that is interviewing him had arrested them and been attacked by him when he was arresting him. And then when they remade the Red the Red Dragon with uh, Anthony Hopkins and Ed Norton, they showed all that. But I just I just there was something there was something a lot more sinister about the way Brian Cox played the part uh, than the way Anthony Hopkins played it. But it's just a fucking brilliant actor. We literally watch him in anything. So good. No, oh, he's fantastic. I think yeah, I say he's great in Succession, and yeah, Bob Servant is a a huge favourite of mine as well. Well, we'll have to do Bob Servant. Uh, he's very good. We'll, 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 get, we'll, we'll do Bob Servant in a future episode, I think, because it's, it's really good. So, I think that wraps up complicity. Uh, I'm definitely, I'll definitely have to read some more Ian Banks, I mean, because it's been years, I've, years and years. I, mean, I read The Crow Road back in the mid-90s, and The Wasp Factory, I think, I read just after that. So I'll have to, I'll have to revisit his work. Have you read The Crow Road? Um, I haven't read The Crow Road, and I keep meaning to. I, I bought it years ago, and I've got it on my Kindle as well. And I keep meaning to, because I want to watch the TV series. Um, I've read The Wasp Factory. I, I, I didn't get that, really. I didn't see the hype. So it's unpleasant, The Wasp Factory. It's not a... It's an mm. unpleasant bit. I'm with you. I didn't really get it. Well, I think that kind of wraps up complicity. So 
that was my choice. So it's your choice next, Greg. What are we going to look at next time on The Swally? So the next film that I wanted to look at for The Swally, I was kind of reminded of it a little bit, actually, when I was thinking about... This is going to sound a bit strange. When I was thinking about why I didn't see this film when it first came out, because uh, the film we're going to talk about next time came out a couple of years before, and I was sort of came to it through train spotting, and it's um, small faces about three brothers growing up in Glasgow in the late nineteen sixties, and the sort of direction that their lives take over the space of a couple of months. It's got a great cast: Joe McFadden, Ian Robertson, Kevin McKidd, Laura Fraser, who I think are all swally newbies. I th- oh, yeah, I think they're maybe swally newbies. I don't know. They are, yeah. I don't think we've done anything uh, featuring those. And they're all huge Scottish actors. And yeah, I don't think we've done anything with those in them so far. But I think Andy Gray is in um, is in Small Faces, if I remember right. So that'll get his swally tally up by one. It's been a long time since I've seen Small Faces. And I cannot wait to watch it again. But I'd, I'd, I'd forgotten Andy Gray was in it. That's great. That's gonna. He's gonna be up in the upper echelons of Swally <laughs> now. Fantastic. Well, I'll look forward to that. Uh, yeah, great choice. So, thank you so much for listening, everyone. Uh, if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can. You can follow us on Instagram at Culture Swally Pod, or email us with anything you'd like us to review or if you want a news story that you'd like us to to comment on or to review you can get in touch with us on cultureswally at gmail.com or finally you can follow us on twitter at swallypod so i guess until next time it's uh, a case of tongs ya bass it's <laughs> tongs ya bass okay i'll see you we'll see you next time everyone Fantastic. If I don't see you next week, I'll see you through the window. Oh, no. Get yourself, Dave, fuck.